Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded and expects to hit 6 million listens by the end of July 2023. We're celebrating this success by recognizing those who have shared the journey with us and giving them the opportunity to contribute to the ongoing success of the shows. By buying a paper copy of the Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a donation to help the ongoing running costs, members of the international Italian wine community will be given the chance to nominate future guests and even enter a prize draw to have lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. To find out more, visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin! Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Listen in as we journey to some of Italy's most beautiful places in the company of those who know them best, the families who grow grapes and make fabulous wines. Through their stories, we will learn not just about their wines, but also about their ways of life, the local and regional foods and specialities that pair naturally with their wines, and the most beautiful places to visit. We have a wonderful journey of discovery ahead of us, and I hope you will join me. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Today I'm absolutely delighted to continue our special sub-series that highlights the winners of the prestigious five-star wines and wines without walls competition that took place earlier this year. Over the course of two long days and They were very, very long days. More than 2,200 wines were tasted by an international jury of wine professionals, journalists, winemakers, sommeliers, and Italian wine ambassadors. Those wines that scored more than 90 points were awarded certificates and will be included in the Five Star Wines and Wines Without Walls book that is coming out very soon while the very best wines in each category were singled out for special awards. This year, one of the most coveted prizes for best red wine was awarded to the Marchese di Barolo family winery for its Barolo Sarmassa DOCG 2018. My guest today is a very good friend of the Italian Wine Podcast, who I am delighted to welcome back, Valentina Abona. Ciao, Valentina. Thanks so much for being my guest today. And many congratulations to you and your family for this prestigious award. How are you today? Mark, I'm super well. Thank you for having me and uh, for allowing me to share more about our territory, our vineyards, uh, and uh, our beautiful Barolo land. Great. I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. And last time we spoke, I think, was in winter. So we're in the middle of summer now, and it's a, it's a different world. I'm guessing it's very hot in Barolo. Well, you know, every day is very variable. We just had last week a very crazy hailstorm that scatters a lot. Luckily, our territory is very much diversified. So even though if a lot of uh, towns were hit by hail, and of course, all of the cultivations of this land, not necessarily just the vineyards, but all the other cultures of the area, we are in a safe place now. It was so quite early in the year, green harvest, so had to be carried out. Uh, we look at the future with optimism and then very warm days are following. It's very unpredictable. 
Yeah, I can well imagine. And of course, hail, which is a risk in your area, is a real destroyer of vineyards. I've seen the the damage that hail can do where it just can strip a vineyard of grapes, of foliage even. So I'm very glad to hear that you've escaped the worst of that. Well, you know, we look at our business with optimism. Our family has been in this industry for six generations now. And of course, many things have occurred in these many, many years. So we did face uh, critical situations in terms of uh, uh, weather, uh, in terms uh, of uh, health, in terms uh, of economy or safety, uh, security. So in general, I'd like to think that if we had uh, passed all of these situations and we are still here, uh, there is hope for the future anyways. We just have to be always uh, on the spot, uh, dealing with what we have and trying to make the best out of it. I guess, you know, when you come from a family that has been pursuing the same activity for six generations, you have deep within you that feeling of confidence, of knowledge that's part of who you are and, and how people have managed to work and survive adversity over many, many years. Your family is actually part of the history of Barolo itself, of Barolo, the town and the wine, and you're located in the Castello di Barolo. Go right back to the beginning of the creation of modern Barolo wine and share with us your story. Well, I like the way you phrase it. You know, there is a sort of confidence uh, giving all the history that distinguishes our family company. Sometimes the risk is to fall too much into this confidence. So we have to keep on finding challenges on a daily basis. So to make sure that we try to avoid uh, big mistakes in this way. As you said, the history of what we consider modern Barolo is very much linked to the history of Marchese di Barolo. As a matter of fact, Marquise Juliette Colbert, a French noblewoman that became Italian basically by marrying Carlo Tancredi Falletti, the last Marquis of the village of Barolo back in 1806, was the one that realized the potential of our winemaking region. Believe it or not, prior to her arrival, so let's say in the 1700s, the wine made in Piedmont was known to be very different from what we consider modern Barolo today. In fact, uh, Thomas Jefferson used to describe the juice made from Nebbiolo, sweet as a Madeira, sparkling as a Champagne, yet austere as a Bordeaux. Wow. Fascinating. Very surprising, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really is. But this basically uh, led us to the conclusion that there was no knowledge in terms of winemaking process and fermentation process. In fact, the juice from the grapes that were collected in our land was left for a um, natural fermentation, a spontaneous fermentation that started immediately after harvest. And then during fall, late fall and winter time, of course, this fermentation stopped. 
So because of the drop in temperatures that we still experience today, of course, eventually this juice was very unstable. So full sugars and after bottling, fermentation started again. So eventually CO2 stayed in those bottles. And that's why Thomas Jefferson described the wine as sparkling. So every bottle was very different one from the other. There was no understanding about how to make this process uh, optimal and uh, consistent in time. Things changed with the arrival of Juliette Colbert that soon enough realized that a wine as they used to do in French could be made also from Nebbiolo. So she had a cellar built on the ground where finally more stable temperature indoor allowed fermentation to be carried on completely so that the final juice was finally stable and she aged this juice she refined it in barrels which were introduced for the very first time in history in the uh, Lange region so she named this wine Barolo in honor of the village where her estate was and uh, where the winery was started And this is how basically modern Barolo was born. So we should not confuse modern Barolo in this sense with more modern winemaking approaches to the Barolo wine. Yes, that's an important distinction because there is that modern traditionalist sort of argument as well. But we're really going back in history to around the time of unification. This was actually prior to that. So prior I to that. said that Giulietta became Italian My bad. <laughs> Italy did not exist as a country of its own at the moment. That happened only later on. So it was actually the king of Savoy that was so interested in this noble juice that Juliette Colbert was making that asked her to be able to taste some. And Juliette Colbert sent 325 barrels all the way to the king's court in Turin, one per day and less than 40 days of length, because she was very Catholic, so only counted the drinking days for the king. And this was prior to 1861. Goodness me, that's a lengthy story that really links to the history of Italy itself. Now, what about your family then? And how did you arrive and when did you arrive? in this wonderful town in Barolo? Well, I believe that we were already there as a family in those times. We, however, started focusing on wine later on, basically taking inspiration from what happened in the cellars of Juliette Colbert. Few families in Barolo started dedicating their, their attention Uh, to winemaking process, and historic wineries were born around that time, in the second half of the 1800s. Around these, our family distinguished herself for the quality of their wine production. The name of the winery at that time was Cavalier Felice Bona e Figli, of course, in, uh, in Italian. And this was our ancestor, Felice Bona, that started the legacy in winemaking And only in 1929, the opportunity of continuing the legacy of Juliette Colbert came on. We bought the state in that time because Juliette Colbert unfortunately had no children. So the winery was left to a church organization that she established herself before passing away in 1864 to manage all of her activities, including the winery. For a number of years, the church organization had a very successful management of the cellars of the Marquises. 
and just in 1929 was no longer allowed because of an update of Italian laws to have profitable activities in good transformation. So that is when our family took the opportunity of um, purchasing the cellars of the Marchesi di Barolo and continuing the vision that Juliette Colbert had. So we moved up the road <laughs> from our family's winery to the winery of the Marquises. Are you enjoying this podcast? Don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for fascinating videos covering Stevie Kim and her travels across Italy and beyond, meeting winemakers, eating local foods, and taking in the scenery. Now, back to the show. Okay, so that is such an interesting story, Valentina. And as you say, six generations and very much still a family business today. Absolutely. So uh, my brother is today our vineyard manager and he overlooks on all production uh, together with my dad, who's still very much involved in daily activities. And he's also more um, involved in what our administration is. While my mom and I would be more uh, occupied <laughs> looking after sales and uh, communication, marketing, hospitality. We try to keep our roles a little bit distinct, so to not overlap and not fight too much. But as in any family business, I believe this is quite impossible. At the end, we tend to always speak one on top of the other, but always with the goal of reaching a finer result. Yes, I can imagine that. I've met uh, other members of your family at Opera Wine and at over uh, different occasions. And I can imagine you have very enjoyable family dinners. We do. We're very good wine, in fact. <laughs> and yes, I bet. Well, before we move on to your award-winning Barolo, let's just talk about that full range of wines from Le Lange, the classic wines that you are producing. Just a, a quick overview, not going into too much about each one, but I, I think it's important that our listeners know that Marchese di Barolo produces great Barolo, but also a range of wines that are so important to that classic line of Le Lange wines. Well, we do trust that this is one of our strengths. Our territory is so much diversified that truly offers opportunity in every corner, basically, to show a different expression of our terroir with just few varieties, uh, mostly red ones, such as Nebbiolo, Barbera, Dolcetto, and a few whites like Arnaise or Moscato, we are able to offer a lot of different uh, shades, a lot of different expressions. In fact, our grapes are very much sensitive to the differences in altitude, in exposures, in soil types, to show different personalities according to where you plant them. So our portfolio is quite diversified. Uh, we don't produce much of each specific SKU just because our land is very much scattered and uh, it really changes from uh, one place uh, to its neighbor. So we believe it's more important to show the diversity rather than uh, just make a more mm, large number of just one expression. So we would have a few different Barbera, a Barbera from Alba, a Barbera from Barolo, which is actually uh, so 
a um, Appalachian Barbera d'Alba Superiore in this case uh, because we work on that vineyard with a little bit more attention diminishing the yield per hectare and refining the wine for longer time we would have a Barbera d'Asti. And we just came out with a Nizza, actually. So our state goes beyond the Lange. We do have properties in Roero and in the Astigiano and Monferrato Nicese as well. So again, we do have the opportunity to diversify quite a lot. That's interesting too, Valentina, in relation to you mentioned uh, the storms of hail that you've had. And I guess rather like in Burgundy, but not Bordeaux, maybe not Chianti Classico, rather than a vineyard being around a single estate, around a single property. The tradition in Barolo really is to have patches of land located in various places, which helps, for example, to diminish the risk of hail, but also gives you expressions of different terroir all around your area. I didn't know you actually had vineyards also in the Astigiana and Nizza. This is one of the um, news from this year. In fact, our first vintage of Nizza is 2021, which was just launched at the beginning of the month, so two weeks ago. <laughs> very, very. Oh, my. I'll look forward to tasting that next time I'm over. We are excited. We are very excited. It's a small territory, the one of Nizza, but with a lot of attention put on this beautiful variety, Barbera, which we grow locally, also in Barolo, as I mentioned before, that, however, shows uh, such a different expression with red clay that characterize the soils of Nizza, the different altitude, the different microclimate. So a lot of enthusiasm for this project. Okay, great. Well, let's turn now to Barolo, Marchese di Barolo, really. I think we all think of your great Barolo wines. And with the same discourse on terroir uh, and crew, that's also been very important for you to be able to express different characteristics of particular parcels of vineyard. Now, your award-winning wine, uh, Sarmassa, is one of these crew wines, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sarmassa is a very tiny vineyard in the town of Barolo, however, at the border with the town of La Morra. So it's quite fascinating when we talk about uh, diversification of our territory of our terroir, we ideally picture La Morra uh, to be the most sandy area of uh, the Barola Palation. But this vineyard, which is just bordering, basically is neighbor to the border of, uh, of La Morra, is one of the most uh, compact and stony soils uh, that we have in the town of Barolo. So Sarmassa offers uh, a very mineral, balsamic and uh, a high in tannic, concentrated expression of Barolo, which is very unique and, uh, of course, very personal to the terroir of Sarmassa specifically. Okay, well, it obviously impressed the judges. I was one of the judges at Five Star, and, of course, we don't know what wines we taste when we're undergoing this judging, but out of 2,200 wines, and I'm not sure what percentage of those were red, the expert panels of tasters picked out this wine as receiving the highest points of any other red wine. So to win best red wine in this prestigious competition is a huge achievement. We are very, very excited and proud about that. Uh, my brother especially, who's uh, 
as I said, our vineyard manager put a lot of effort uh, on the care, on the management uh, of our land. So I think this award is mostly dedicated to him and to his attention together with our team in the, in the vineyard. But the beauty of Sarmassa, as I said, is very unique. Uh, we call this specific uh, wine uh, within our all of our offer, our fighter, because it's the vine that has to fight the most because of the conditions of the terroir being so, so dry, so stony. Um, the roots have to go a lot into deep, so it it suffers. But as any suffering, the result is very much fought through, is very much concentrated and rich. So it does give us a lot of satisfactions. And I'm glad that it satisfied also the palate of the judges. Speaking of suffering and vines, what about uh, the last few years when you've had the really intense temperatures and, you know, the effects of climate change on your area and on your particular wines? Well, in general, we are seeing uh, a lot of challenges, especially, as you said, because of the climate and the conditions uh, of Mother Nature. In the last years, we had experienced uh, great heat waves uh, in big draws. In fact, uh, we were not prepared uh, to the rain that we received in the last months lately. But the, I would say the beauty, I know it's a challenge, so don't get me wrong, I don't want to be superficial in this, but still I think that a part of the beauty of our business is how unpredictable this is. So uh, you really have to be prompt to react to any situation and, again, try to take the best out of them. In the past years, uh, we've been changing our approach to the vineyards. So to be able to face the situation, we started looking more to sustainable practices. So to deal with the heat, we let greater grassing in the vines. And we were able in those vines where we let greater grassing to lower the temperature on the vine by 10 degrees. So I was surprised as well. Is that, But again, I'm not the technician in the family. But still, everything is done in a very thoughtful uh, way. So to be able to achieve greater and greater results, uh, we started practicing some years ago a technique called suvesho, which implies uh, the co-seeding um, of different plants uh, within the um, within the lines of the vines, so to allow more um, oxygenation of the of the soil. Um, and again, to be able to manage temperatures and to break the ground. So if we have draws, the very little water that comes can still go immediately all the way down and does not stay only on the surface, but it reaches the bottom where the roots can easily access it. So again, is all a matter of... Uh, testing, seeing results, tasting the result, and then implement with more focus. We have been investing in meteorological stations within our vineyards, so to be able to intervene in a very specific way without wasting time, without wasting treatments, or be more specific with the attention that that specific vineyard needs in that specific time. So also to go less in the field, so to be able to not press too much the soil and again, allow greater 
oxygenation and uh, and watering of the bottom of the vine. No, I I think that's very clear. And and when you do have those big downpours, if you don't do that, then the water just runs off the vineyards, especially the steep vineyards. So I can understand how what you're doing is really helping. You need to retain every drop of moisture in these times, don't you? Absolutely, because otherwise very unfortunate situations would occur. As you said, we don't have slow rain anymore, but water bombs. And there is not the opportunity for the soil to, to embrace all of that water. Usually it creates floatings. We don't want that to happen, but rather we prefer the water, of course, to go all the way down to the bottom of the vineyard. Uh, so is the little attentions uh, that can make a very big impact. Uh. Sure, sure. And can result in a great range of wines, a range of wines that I think above all are wines that are meant to be at the table, to be meant to be enjoyed with food. Now, I'd like to turn to hospitality at Marchese di Barola, because I know that's an important part of the business. And our listeners like to travel, like to visit and visit the people that we've been talking to. And I know that they're very welcome at Marchese di Barolo, and you, in fact, have a very good restaurant. So really, Valentina, I'd like to know, last time we were talking about winter foods, it was a season of white truffles, uh, brasato and bolito and, and hearty foods for cold temperatures. But now we're in summer. Tell us what you're eating at home, in the restaurant. What are some of the classic dishes of Le Lange? that pair well with your wines? Well, we could stay other hours speaking about this. Our tradition, as in any region in Italy, actually, is very rich uh, in terms of what possible pairings and uh, and uh, traditional recipes are. I will just tell you that when my mom and dad got married in uh, 40 years ago, they had 20 antipasti. Oh, my. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> Wonderful. So, but in general, in a season like this one, Vitello Tonnato, uh, our classic tartar, which is very fresh made with our fasona, which is the special breed, super lean, that is great to have just with a little olive oil and uh, pepper, salt, and that's it. You don't really have to add too much to it. What wine goes best with carne cruda al albese? Well, here we can play. We can start with arnese. Typical variety from Roero, which lately is having more and more appreciation because of the great structure that Darnese has combined with the great salinity that the minerality of the soil offers uh, from that region. It's perfect. Uh, I would say that a dolcetto, a little chilled, would be absolutely delicious mm, with yes. it. But even Barbera, I mean, is or. Uh, we are very creative in Piemont. I mean, Alanga Nebbiolo, stainless steel from sandy soils, perhaps the ones of Roero could be a beautiful match with Carnacuda and Winvitello Tornato. Okay. And what about the primi piatti in the summer? Maybe I would go with a more delicate tallarina, either just with butter and sage or with some uh, rabbit ragu, uh, which is more delicate than the, than the red ragu. Um, again, Langenebiolo, perfect, Barbera, perfect with, uh, uh, with more delicate tallarina. And as a main course, uh, I will probably go on, um, uh, I'm not sure because of course, uh, we don't want to have brazato, but rabbit is, uh, is a great opportunity. 
maybe I would have it with a Barbaresco, Barbaresco, which is a little bit more fresh um, compared to Barolo, or with a single vineyard Barolo from very sandy soils as Coste di Rose, which is right in the town of Barolo, but however shows such lightness and the brightness because of the loose soil that distinguishes it. Okay, well, that all sounds absolutely fabulous. And I love your descriptions of the pairings and how they go well with particular dishes. So I look forward to trying some of these dishes with you one day, Valentina. That's the best way to do it, pairing and sharing. Yes, I would urge our listeners as well to visit Barolo itself. We know Barolo, the name from the wine, but also this small, wonderful town of Barolo itself, and you're right in the heart of that. Well, Barolo is only a 600-people village, but yet is known all over the world because of the great wines that we make, because of how Marquis Juliette was able to pin it on a map. So we just look forward for people to come and discover more about our town, about the history, and, uh, of course, about our beautiful wines and terroir expression. Well, Valentina, it's been a really great to hook up with you again here and have a chat and learn more about the history and your family and the great wines that you're producing. Congratulations again for this magnificent award, and I look forward to seeing you again sometime soon. Me too. Hopefully in Barolo, in front of a nice dish and a beautiful glass of wine. That's wonderful. I look forward to it. Grazie, Valentina. Thank you, Mark, and thank you to everyone. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Wine, Food, and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe right here or wherever you get your pods. Likewise, you can visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Until next time, chin chin.